Matthew, chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins, who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, Here comes the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. If you would join me in prayer. Lord, we uh, give you praise and thanks for this day. Lord, we thank you for our worship so far this morning, Lord, through song and through confession. Lord, through uh, praying, Lord, for, for your people. Lord, we pray, God, that you would continue to bless our worship this morning. Lord, pour out your spirit among us today, Lord, as we worship you through your word, through hearing it taught and proclaimed, Lord, through the Eucharist, Lord, as we come together and make thanks for Christ. Lord, we pray, God, that our worship would be in spirit and in truth. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we have made our way through the Gospel of Matthew over the course of ordinary time this year, Jesus has been presenting us with with more than a few considerations of life in the kingdom of heaven, particularly as it relates to kingdom life in the here and now, in the already. You've heard me say this quite a bit uh, since June. But this already includes, but it is not limited to, things like how we exercise authority over the keys of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus has given to his church. We read about this in Matthew 16 after Peter confesses Jesus as the Christ. Or how we handle ourselves in matters of church discipline. We read about this in Matthew 18. Also, we understand that everyone in the kingdom, from the very first entrant into the very last entrant, will receive the same wage. That is Christ himself. We read about this, I believe, in Matthew 21. And we also read in Matthew 23, just a few weeks ago, how we must both believe and obey in order to be worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. These are the lessons that Jesus has given us throughout Matthew's gospel this year. But in Matthew 25, where we will spend our final three weeks of ordinary time before Advent begins. So here in Matthew 25, Jesus starts to shift our focus. And he starts with this parable of the ten virgins. And he does so by blending our understanding of the already, the current time, but also the not yet for the age to come. He blends these now, starting here. And, and here, he does this by displaying for us that moment where the kingdom of heaven is consummated in the return of the bridegroom. 
Now, the lesson here is very familiar for many of us who have been raised in the church or read scripture for a long time. And that lesson is that disciples of the kingdom of heaven are to be wise and not foolish. A wise disciple is to be prepared for the return of Christ, regardless of how long his delay might be. Ultimately, the wise disciple is aware of the time and the seasons. To quote Paul from Ephesians 5.16, we as wise disciples are to be looking carefully at how we walk, making the best use of the time that we have been given because the days are evil. But a person who is foolish is not prepared for the return of Christ. They have not made best use of the time. They are not looking carefully at how they walk. They are not believing. They're not obeying. And as such, they not only miss the return of Christ, but even the opportunity to enter the kingdom with Christ, as we see here in this parable. And so we start here just at the very top. We see this blending of the already and the not yet here in the very first verse. Again, Jesus presents us with a simile of the kingdom of heaven. Right, The kingdom of heaven is like ten virgins who take their lamps and they go out and await the arrival of the bridegroom. And there's something very important that's actually missing from this verse. That If you're careful, you just kind of read over it and move on. And the thing that's missing is that nothing is mentioned here about when the bridegroom will arrive. Only that he is on his way. Right? He could arrive at any moment. So these virgins take their lamps and they go out and they await his arrival. But then immediately in verse 2, Jesus gives us a distinction. Some of these virgins are wise and some are foolish. And this, this verse in particular is the thrust of the whole parable. Now, the, the delayed return of Christ is the purpose of this parable. But the conflict that drives the parable, that pushes it along, that informs it, is the difference between the wisdom or the foolishness of those who claim to belong to the bridegroom. So not only is Jesus presenting us here with a simile of what the kingdom of heaven is like, but he's also giving us a clear contrast between those who are of the kingdom of heaven and those who are not. So biblically, wisdom helps us to discern the difference between the two ways of life. We either follow the way of righteousness or the way of wisdom, or we follow the way of wickedness or the way of foolishness. Psalm 1 is a great reminder of how this works. We see in that psalm that Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. He knows those who are walking the way of wisdom. But the way of the wicked, the way of the foolish, will perish, and they will not stand in the judgment. We'll see this very clearly in two weeks when we look at the parable of the sheep and the goats. But Jesus' use of wise here in this verse is a continuation not only of this biblical understanding of wisdom, but also of his teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. The wise hear the words of Christ, and they do them. They build their house upon the rock. But the foolish, they hear and they ignore. They built it on sand, and it's washed away. So biblical wisdom teaches us that we must constantly be ready for the unexpected. And as Jesus tells us here in this parable, the wise are indeed ready for the bridegroom's arrival, but the foolish are not. And so we read this again. So five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with them for their lamps. So the foolish, both in this parable and in reality, live only for the moment. They give little thought about contingencies. They do not prepare themselves. 
But the wise, on the other hand, have some forethought. They think things through. They prepare themselves for every possible delay of the bridegroom. And ours has been delayed for almost 2,000 years. So here's a moment where we could pause and back up to Matthew chapter 24, the chapter right before this one. And in verse 36 of that chapter, Jesus tells us, he says, No one knows the day or the hour of his return, not even himself. Only the Father knows when he will send the Son to collect his bride. And so Jesus, what he's doing with this parable then as a follow-up to that, is he's, he's both warning us and encouraging us in the knowledge that his return could be delayed for a very long time, as it has been. So we are to be wise and be prepared. But then that leads us to a question, right? How are we to be prepared? Right? If we have to be wise, how can we be wise? What are we supposed to be doing? Obviously the foolish are not doing anything, so... The wise are doing something. So how do we make ourselves ready? Well, Jesus tells us here. The wise have sufficient oil for our lamps. So interestingly, and not that the word is in every verse, but the concern over oil takes up over half of this parable, almost the entirety of the parable. The concern of the lack of or the abundance of oil is the issue. And it is the only means, the, the lack or abundance of oil is the only means by which the preparedness is measured between the wise and the foolish in this parable. Augustine writes here, he says that the presence of oil is the only way that we can determine between the wise and the foolish. Between whether a person is prepared for the return of the bridegroom or if they are not. Now, in reality and contextual, you know, contextually, if you're going to use an oil lamp, you obviously want to have oil, otherwise it will not burn. Right? It's the same way of trying to turn on an electrical lamp if you don't plug it in or have a light bulb in it. Right? You want to be prepared to have light when it is dark. But because this is a parable, we have to remember that every use of imagery by Christ in this speaks to multiple layers of the reality of the kingdom of heaven. It's not just as simple as having an oil lamp. Meaning that oil is not simply oil, but it is symbolic of something greater. But also it's symbolic of something that is absolutely necessary for entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And so I think Augustine might be actually onto something here, which he usually is, when he writes that the presence of oil is the only way that we can determine between those who are wise and those who are foolish, between those who are prepared and those who are not. And so there are two things that I think oil symbolizes in this parable. First, oil is used throughout Scripture to describe the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit being very necessary to enter into the kingdom of heaven as he is our seal. In Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2, we read this. Isaiah says, The Spirit of Yahweh is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. In Luke chapter 4, we read that Jesus himself fulfills this very anointing as he reads it in front of his home congregation in Nazareth before they reject him. And it is he and the Father who anoint us with the Holy Spirit as we confess every single week in the creed. So that's one thing. But the second element is that oil is also very symbolic of both faith and good works, or belief and obedience. These are also very important qualities for entrance into the kingdom of heaven, as Jesus has illustrated for us through the majority of Matthew since June. In the Greek, interestingly, the words for oil and mercy share the same root. They begin with kind of the same couple of letters. 
And, and the wise, then, are those who believe, but also obey by practicing mercy. While the foolish are those who disbelieve and do not practice mercy. They disobey, and so they incur judgment upon themselves. Again, we will see this very clearly spelled out in the parable of the sheep and the goats in a couple of weeks. And so then, with these two symbolic elements for oil in the mind, the spirit, belief, and obedience, Jesus then says this. He says, The foolish say to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for both you and us, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And then the door was shut. Our Orthodox friends are really helpful here. They say something quite fascinating. They say that the inability here of the wise to share their oil with the foolish should not ever be interpreted as a lack of mercy. Again, mercy and oil being very similar in this parable. And I think they're absolutely right. Because the thing to keep in mind is that this is not a parable about sharing. This is not a parable about sharing. This is not a parable about being nice to your friends. This is a parable about being wisely prepared. Because even though Christ is delayed, he will return. So then, keeping faith and obedience and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in mind, we can see that this is also a parable that teaches us about our individual responsibility to be prepared for the return of Christ. So yes, absolutely, and I have said this many times, we are a communal faith. We are a communal people. We are all collectively the body of Christ, each with our own roles and purposes in the body. But there is a responsibility that is placed upon each and every one of us individually. And part of that responsibility is making sure that you are ready for the return of Christ Jesus. So the faith can be passed down from generation to generation, but belief in that faith cannot be. Each person must lay hold of Christ for themselves. You must believe in Christ. You must repent of your sins. You must be baptized into Christ. You must be sealed by the Holy Spirit, and you must obey Christ. I cannot believe for you, and you cannot believe for me. The foolish prove their foolishness by being unprepared, because the foolish have not believed. The foolish have not repented. The foolish have not been baptized. They have not been sealed by the Spirit of Christ. And they have not been obedient to Christ. And in light of the sudden and unexpected nature of Jesus' return, believers must be wise by being prepared. So notice in this parable, the wise and the foolish are separated, not by God's meanness, but by their own neglect. Matthew Henry, writing in the late 1600s, states this. He says, The foolish will indeed see their need of grace in the hereafter when it could have saved them. But who will not see their need of grace now when it can sanctify you? And so notice in verse 8, he says, The foolish have not prepared themselves for the bridegroom to be delayed, and they have neglected their responsibilities. So when the cry finally rings out in the village that the bridegroom has arrived, come out and meet him, the bridegroom is finally here, they get up and they scurry about. 
because they can't keep their lamps lit. Right? He says again, he says this, the foolish say to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. This going out helps us to envision a flickering lamp. Right? Imagine like if one of these candles in the room were being blown on by the vents. Right? They would be, it'd be flickering. You'd be worried that it's eventually going to go out. Right? But it also gives us this vision of a, of a lamp that is waning or just simply will not light. And so as we read in Proverbs 13, verse 9, God says that the light of the righteous, the light of the wise, rejoices. But the lamp of the wicked will be absolutely snuffed out. And so if we are foolish and we are not prepared, then we will miss the arrival of the bridegroom, thereby proving our wickedness, proving our foolishness, and our lamps will be snuffed out. And just as we see here in verses 11 and 12, The door is shut when they were finally prepared, but it was too late. So while they were going to buy, Jesus says, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready, those who were prepared, went in with him to the marriage feast, and then the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly I say to you, I do not know you. There is absolutely nothing more terrifying than the thought of Christ not knowing who you are. There will not be multiple chances to receive the bridegroom after he arrives. You are either prepared or you are not. And as Jesus has already told us in Matthew 10.22, those who persevere to the end are the ones who will be saved. They are the ones who will go into the wedding feast. And this is a, a key contrast in wisdom. Fools are those who ignore God, but the wise listen to God, and they attend to God, and they are obedient to his words and his commands. But those who are fools are not prepared. And we know this because there is insufficient faith on their part, insufficient obedience, and therefore a lack of anointing of the Holy Spirit. One final element that I thought was really quite fascinating in this parable to help us understand preparation is this interesting element that Jesus places right in the center of the story. Center of the story, excuse me, let me... Enunciate that way, I don't say center, center of the story. And it's this element of sleep. He says this in verse 5. As the bridegroom was delayed, and let's be honest, our bridegroom has been delayed for a very long time. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and they slept. I want to work through this because I think this is interesting. Because if you were to open your Bibles and back up, to chapter 24 of Matthew, you would see very quickly that Jesus tells his disciples to stay awake. So, this, this begs the question, are these virgins sinning by going to sleep? Let's bring this forward to today. Are we sinning by giving in to our body's natural desire and natural need for rest and sleep? Absolutely not. Right? Let, me, let me go ahead and just put that out there and to steal a quote from Walton, let's put that snake on the table, right? No, no, absolutely not. Sleeping is not a sin. So you can rest assured this morning that you slept fine last night not sinning in the Lord and by, by sleeping, and you can go to bed tonight not sinning by sleeping in the Lord, right? But notice in this, in this verse, both the wise and the foolish fall asleep. The concern of this parable, unlike the parable before it, isn't whether or not you fall asleep, 
but whether or not if you are prepared before you fall asleep. In the parable before this one, in Matthew 24, Jesus' point is that his return will be sudden. So stay alert. But here, the point is preparation, because his return will be delayed. And it will be delayed longer than we could ever anticipate. And so did you notice then that their preparation, or their lack of preparation, takes place before they fall asleep? Backing up, so five were, wise, five were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil in their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Their preparation takes place before they get drowsy and fall asleep. And again, as he often is, Augustine is really helpful here. What he does is he combines their sleep and their drowsiness with the next few verses. So listen again. So they all became drowsy and slept, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. He's finally here. So come meet him. And then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. So Augustine asks a very important question here. He asks a question that we can all, I think, comfortably ask when we read Scripture. And that's the question of why. Why? Lord, help me understand. And so he says, why? And why particularly, why midnight? Why is midnight an important element in this verse and in this passage? What is Jesus trying to tell us? Now, it's the middle of the night, true. But it's also a reminder that Christ is delayed. And he has been delayed a long time. And Augustine notes here, he says, midnight is the moment of least expectation. So, you are not expecting anything to happen at midnight because you should be asleep. And you especially should be asleep because that's the time in which we sleep. <laughs> and so Augustine writes here, he says, midnight signifies a moment of complete unawareness because you're asleep. It's a moment of complete unawareness for the believer because years have passed since Christ has ascended to the Father. And he is still delayed. And just when he is least looked for, he comes at midnight. He comes at a time when you are least aware. And so what, what Jesus is doing then is drawing for us a really interesting contrast between verse 5 and their sleepiness and verse 13. Again, the bridegroom was delayed. They all became drowsy and slept. And then this final verse here, Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour. The wise can remain watchful and do remain watchful even in their drowsiness because the wise are prepared in their drowsiness. But sleepiness is not a sin. Furthermore, sleepiness is not a sin because falling asleep has another metaphor in Scripture, and that is death itself. And Paul encourages us, just as he encouraged the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 4, that those who have died in Christ, who have fallen asleep, will not miss his return just because they have died. He says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, about those who have died, and that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though through Jesus... God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Those who sleep in Christ have hope because our hope is in Christ. 
and in his return. And our hope is also in his resurrection because we will also be raised as he has been raised. And then the purpose then of this parable remains. Are you ready for the return of the bridegroom? When you lie down to sleep night after night or when you lie down to sleep in death, are you wise and prepared? Or are you foolish and not keeping watch and sleeping unprepared? This parable is meant to serve as both a warning to us and an encouragement. And so even though Jesus is delayed, our encouragement is that he will return. So, warn one another with these words, but also encourage one another. Watch and be wise. Sleep and rest in the peace of Christ. And be prepared with the oil of faith and the oil of obedience and mercy and the oil of the Holy Spirit. Keep your lamps trimmed and ready. For we do not know the day or the hour when the bridegroom will come, but he will come to collect us to his wedding feast.